You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin our gathering here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us, particularly since they are the, the subject of our Uh, proceedings here. So I call out to the ancestors. I call out to all of those who are good and true and beautiful in my own ancestral line and in yours. I call out to those who are connected to everyone who will ever hear this podcast at any time. I call out to all of those ancestors and in that way I call out to the entire family of humanity. I call out to these people who were here before us, those who lived well, those who died well, and those who have wisdom to share with us, those who would guide us on our way that we might do better, that we might carry forward that which was good and true and beautiful, and that we might resolve, release, and heal that which went awry, that we might bring reconciliation to the world that we share with all other living things, that we might also innovate and create and make new that which has not yet been brought into form but is needed, especially those things that are needed by those who are coming. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather around us, we the living, we who have free will to use, we who must learn the right use of that will. And so I call out to the ancestors to be with us that we might be rich and vital and engaged in that learning. So I call out to the deep and rich and ancient ancestor, the earth. I call out to Pachamama, to the great mother. I call out to her to give thanks for this day, the beauty and the wonder and the miracle of this day. I give thanks to her and I call out to her to be with each one of us. And in this way, we each call this energy into our bodies and draw into ourselves the energy of grounding and belonging the energy of connection, and in particular, interconnection. And I call out to the energy of the earth that we might be better aware of all the layers or the matrix or the interconnection of all living things, not just human, not just animal, not just plant, but all the different vibrations and energies on which all things come together to make this great oneness that we call life. And we give thanks to the earth for this amazing dreaming, the dream that she had of life and the, that we would all be here together to share it in this amazing, challenging and creative time. So with our feet firmly planted in the earth and the ancestors circled round, let us each reach up into the sky all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name we call that energy, let us call the energy of blessing and protection down into ourselves, into our circle and into these proceedings. We call in the energy of generosity, of benevolence, the goodwill of the mentors and the champions in our life that we might each find what we need to express that true gift that we each carry within us. So we call out to the sky energies above to bring us 
breath and freedom from suffocation, from stagnation. We call out to these energies to inspire us. So with the energy of the sky coming down and the earth rising up, let them meet within us and enliven our belly with that great Taoistic dance of life, the big love of the yin and yang energies. May we come into balance as is needed for us in this day and call out to the energy of our hearts. We call out to the power of the heart that has that amazing capacity to be the crucible that can hold the fire of the energies of the lower chakras and draw in the clear, clarifying, inspired, incisive awareness of the energies from above in the body. Bring them together in the heart in a way that calls up the essence of both, destroys nothing, and allows something third to be created, which would be your awareness of why you are here. And the courage and the creativity and the ability to do something about that knowledge and to bring your gifts into the world while you are still young enough to enjoy the fruits of those labors. So with great thanks to the heart, the energy below, the energy above, and the ancestors that circle around us, I call out to all of our helping spirits to join us here today. For this show is dedicated to those teachers. I'd also like to give thanks to those whose generosity of heart and spirit keep the show on the air. A special thanks goes out to Mandy and all of the listeners who have donated in the last couple weeks to the show. If this show moves you in any way, even if it pisses you off, but if it moves you to think, to feel, to be present in your life differently, I ask you to let that movement within you move you into action in some way that benefits your gifts, that benefits the show in some way, and that potentially to donate to the show to help to keep it on the air for those who are less fortunate, that the show might remain free to all who, of course, can gain access through the Internet, which means it's not entirely free, but that's as close as we can get right now. So we give thanks to um, Co-Creator Network and to the Internet itself and all of the technology and all the people whose ideas went into that technology that make the storyteller, the, the energy of this podcast available so widely across the world. And that in and of itself has a particular magnificence. And so for those of you that are moved by any of this, I ask you to be moved to make a donation, large or small. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support the show button, and donate any amount you want. Um, and it's all uh, greatly appreciated because it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And so we thank you all for that and for everything that you might do, sending in your questions, sharing the show with others, anything that you do to help the show to grow, to help the show to deepen, to help the show to uh, be available. All of these things are richly and truly appreciated. So today, the topic of our show is the spirit teachers and being better humans. And I've really wrestled, in a sense, a lot with this show, which is odd because this is an idea. This, this idea that the spirits are helping us to be better humans is really, really why they come to us is so profound and, and such a big part of my own personal practice and my teaching. And yet I find myself sort of unable to figure out how to communicate this in a good way. It's been a very interesting week as I've contemplated this show, but I feel so driven to bring this topic up. And so, I don't know, maybe we'll have to talk about it other times as well. And the biggest challenge that I have with this is when I say the helping spirits are teachers, everyone goes, oh, yeah, done, and then disengages. 
that they're the prop, you know, it's really much easier to talk to people about something they don't know anything about, or at least they don't think they know anything about, because there's nothing in the way. But it's really challenging to talk to people about something they're pretty sure they already understand. And it's even harder to talk to people about something they're pretty sure they already understand when, in fact, they don't at all. Because then there's a lot of that understand, that quote-unquote understanding they think they have that's just in the way of having this conversation. And so I hope that those who think they understand that the Helping Spirits are Teachers didn't tune out just by the very nature of the title of the show. But we uh, reminder, of course, that we are live this week and that you are invited to call in with your questions or experiences. Um, the phone number is 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype, call in from the co-creatornetwork.com site, co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, or email me at Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So, the spirits are teachers. And... As I've just said, I, I find this topic incredibly important and deep to understand, and yet I find it's this thing that is sort of simplistically connected with and stepped over. I rarely meet a practitioner, you know, a peer of mine, a practitioner, much less a student, who truly understands this. Um, it, it is an oddly elusive idea for something so central to shamanism. Um, So I want to go back in time, actually, to many, many years ago when I was working on the encyclopedia. I was digging pretty deeply into the archives of old shaman's drum magazines, looking for people and things and information I knew needed to be in the encyclopedia that wasn't out there in the academic writings. And I came upon an article by Jose Luis Stevens, who is, um, you can find Jose's current work with his wife, Lena, and his uh, crew um, at powerpath.com. And it's um, excellent work. Um, Jose is also um, part of the Foundation for Shaman, uh, Society of Shamanic Practitioners. Sorry about that. Anyway, so I found this article that Jose wrote early, early in his um, own shamanic life. And the story was this. The article was about um, Jose at the time was working with and studying a vegetalista, which in this article was defined basically as a, as a shamanic practitioner who is really focused on simply working with ayahuasca. So being in relationship with all the plants involved in that, um, the art of the different admixtures that slightly change that brew, um, and the art of working with people who are using that plant medicine. And so this is not a person who necessarily does um, healing work specifically or a lot of other other broad aspects of um, shamanic healing, but is really focused on the plants and plant medicine specifically. And Jose was working with someone who was quite renowned. And Jose was there with a number of other shamans of that culture who were um, doing a plant diet, uh, meaning basically fasting, uh, so that they could come into deeper relationship with whatever plant it was they were learning how to work with. Because of course, in the Amazon regions, if you can't work with plant medicines, you're not a shaman uh, for the most part, because it's pretty much expected in that realm. 
So anyway, my point is Jose was there. There were these other shamans there, and they were all there working with this particular vegetalista who's someone who's sort of considered, at least by Westerners, a step down the ladder like in some hierarchy of shamanhood from the shamans. And so Jose asked, um, had, been, had been observing the vegetalista with a shaman in a particularly deep um, session. And um, after this, Jose asked him, you know, why are these shamans here with you? I mean, these are all well-respected, deeply, deeply uh, trained and skilled and experienced and well-respected shamans. Why are they here with you? They can all make ayahuasca. And the vegetalista said that even, even with great shamans, he says, perhaps more so with great shamans, that when you are in your own transformational process, in the midst of it, in the beginning and the middle, frankly, even, even the most experienced cannot necessarily sort out their helping spirits from their figments of their imagination, from the, the desperate um, antics, really, of the ego to try to keep you from changing um, all of these things. And so this, this humble man was very, very aware of the deep psychology, the deep psycho-emotional drama, the deep spirituality, and the deep energetic reality of being in any truly transformational process. And the understanding of this whole, in this whole system of all of these shamans, that when you are wanting to transition to, to truly move from one um, state of awareness to another permanently, a true transformation, that that passage is tended be, be, for the very reason that we have issues. We are here embodied in form. We have issues. The ego has a tendency to find a way to get in the way. So now this was, of course, one small paragraph in a great big long article about Plant diets, actually, um, which I am forever grateful for. It was a great article about plant diets, but I'm forever grateful for this particular paragraph because it talks about the recognition, really in traditional shamanism, of how complex the process is of a human being um, growing, changing, transforming, um, moving through um, the old stages of illusion and um, sense of self into someone who is truly able in, in, this, in the context of this story to truly be a vehicle for spirit to work through in shamanic healing. So I've seen this experience or this situation then, this, this fact that we have issues. I have seen this in my own cycle teachings um, with some regularity, unfortunately. And what happens is that, it, 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 is that in a myriad of different ways, because it's unique to each individual, but, well, just, okay, so a little more context. So in the cycle teachings, after the first year where we're basically meeting our helping spirits, learning about death and rebirth, um, you know, in, engaging with all of the skills and the, preparing the mind to be able to function in a rigorous transformational process where you will be asked to die again and again and again for the next four years. 
and to 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 have the skills to do that in a good way, to be connected to your own helping spirits, um, to learn about ritual and ceremony. All that stuff is in the first year. In the second year, we dive deeply into shadow work. And it, and it is it is, from what I have experienced, one of the deepest ways of engaging in and recovering our true energies out of what we've stuffed in the shadow. That is only preparation. You know, for many people, that's the end game, right? And, it, and in many ways, I read a lot of what more psycho-emotional people or self-help people write about working with the shadow. There's actually a lot out right now. And, you know, people, it's not the end game, but it's presented as if it's some big end game. Like, oh, the fact that you have something in the shadow is like surprise. And here, this is how you deal with it in my seminar. And you know what, people? <laughs> it's just not, didn't really work that way. But beyond that, it is not the end game. It is, once again, preparation for what you're here to do in the, in the true depth of transformation necessary for a contemporary person to get on track with themselves, with the real reason that they're here. So that becomes then preparation for the third year where we really begin to grapple with the basic, one of the basic concepts of the show here today, which is stories. The depth and breadth and complexity with which we have shaped reality by creating stories. And, and, and how much, what it really takes to dump all those stories, because they are profoundly in the way of our ability to connect with the real reality. And I talk about this all the time on shows, but there is a true energetic reality here, which we can all, we all have the potential to tune into and to learn from directly. But to be able to do that in any accurate way, the stories have got to go and the stories are tricky. And because we live in a culture in America, at least, that does not effectively initiate the young into adulthood, this task of dumping the stories becomes ever more challenging for for profound and deep reasons which you'll have to go listen to the podcast about initiation to for me to go into right now i'm just going to take that as a given for this show so the third year is about stories the fourth year is about learning because it is shamanic training so it's about learning how to understand that you are a dreamer, you are manifesting reality, you are part of that great oneness that is reality, and what skills do you need and how do you need to discipline yourself and your own uh, potentially extreme or intense states to, to be responsible for the fact that you are an adult, that you are a dreamer, you are manifesting reality, and... You've got a unique reason that you're here. So let's get at it. So that's the fourth year. Okay, so the culmination of all four of these years is the dismantling of the false self, which is exactly what it sounds like. So you've gained four years worth of deep transformational skills to engage in something that goes far beyond just dragging an energy out of the shadow and transforming it. Okay, so in this process, this four-year process, there is ample opportunity for people to get stuck in their own stories, in their own issues. And now this is the piece that's important for today's show. And then they begin to interpret their shamanic experiences through that lens. 
So in other words, that grasping ego, if you need a visual here, that grasping ego sort of like grabs the helping spirits by the neck and begins to not necessarily control the journeys themselves because many of the people I'm thinking of are very, very strong journeyers. So they do get into the spirit world. But they've already created so many stories about what it is, what what it is that they're meeting in the spirit world, what that means. And all of these stories are shaped by the same stories that have shaped their ordinary reality. And so the person begins then to use their shamanic work to justify the reason they need to step out of the shamanic work with me or other teachers, which would actually help them finally get a handle on the ego that's really controlling everything. I hope that made sense. I'm not sure I can even repeat that. So that's what I've seen, sadly, in, in my cycle work, which is basically the students that are committed to working with me over time, is that people eddy out into their own ego stories and they don't see it. They truly do not see it. It's not someone who just goes, look, I realize these teachings just aren't for me. That's fine. But it's people who don't see it. They... Like I had a woman who had only, was, you know, deeply, you know, 50, 60. So she'd been in her story for a long time, was in a deeply stagnant, unhealthy situation in her life, started journeying, loved journeying, which is to be expected, um, began to get some teachings that were a little bit sideways, didn't really get back on track. And by the end of the second year, she was convinced that she was a dreamer. She was the only person, she was part of the dreamer council who was dreaming reality into existence, which, you know, is true for all of us. Um, and that she was the only one who was right. Now, two years into shamanic training, you're the only one who's right? I mean, that's just crazy talk. So, but what's important about this woman's experience is that her interpretation of her own journeys was her strongest support for that position. So that's why I find this issue extremely interesting. This issue of the helping spirits as teachers and what is really necessary for us to stop trying to run the show and how sneaky the ego is and the personality and the false self, frankly, at, at, at weaseling its way into our shamanic practice as it does in our religious practices and our common sense, frankly, to get us to maintain the old story. So I'm thinking about the show and I'm looking around on the internet and reading this and that and the other thing. And I found this piece from Martin W. Ball. And this was, I haven't connected with his blogs or read his book or any of the other things. So this is my kind of first introduction to Martin's work or Mr. Ball. I probably am not so familiar to call him Martin. Um, anyway, so, um, I'm reading this blog on Reality Sandwich entitled um, Energy, Ego, and Entheogens, The Reality of Human Liberation from Illusion. And in this um, piece, Mr. Ball says, My main aim is to demonstrate that entheogenic experiences are not mysterious and can be fully explained and understood from a naturalistic perspective that does not require belief in other realms or other beings. So at that point, you'd think I'd take exception, wouldn't you? 
Well, Martin goes on to say, when entheogenic experiences are properly understood for what they are, energetic experiences that exhibit a dynamic relationship between the ego and the universal self, the most bizarre experiences can be easily identified as expressions and constructs of the grasping ego. Okay, now I'm going to read that again because I realize what I forgot to say, for those of you who may not know, is um, entheogenic is a word now being used for plant hallucinogens and other um, chemicals, which used to be all be called psychedelic, be, partly because psychedelic has too much baggage, frankly. And entheogenic has to do with um, substances that tend to create in humans um, an experience of oneness, the unity of all things, the divine in all things, the interconnectedness of the... And so in other words, in short, these are substances that tend to help us experience in that altered state the interconnectedness of everything and our place in that or the oneness of all things. Okay, so, so let me read Mr. Ball's one of many statements from his blog. So his main aim, so he says, my main aim was to demonstrate that entheogenic experiences are not mysterious and can be fully explained and understood from a naturalistic perspective that does not require belief in other realms or other beings. When entheogenic experiences are properly understood for what they are, which is energetic experiences that exhibit a dynamic relationship between the ego and the universal self, the most bizarre experiences can easily be identified as expressions and constructs of the grasping ego. So that's where he hooked me in, right? I see shamanic experiences all the time that could transform a person, but instead they're interpreted by this grasping ego and completely neutered. And I mean that completely neutered of all power to of all transformative power and now and and what that means basically is that the power of someone's shamanic practice is now beginning to reinforce their ego identity position so now it's getting worse frankly, because anything we bring our shamanic relationships to gains power, which is why you don't want to necessarily be sending a whole lot of power into an, an immature or unformed relationship or unconscious relationship. So anyway, this is how uh, Mr. Ball certainly hooked me into reading the entire article. So remember, the point of the show today is that the spirits are teaching us, or at least they're trying to. So Ball continues... Um, in this article, he says, in my book, Being Human, um, I write on page 57, a common effect of working with entheogens is attachment to story. People see visions or encounter other beings and then proceed to weave fantastic stories around their experiences. Terence McKenna and the infamous machine elves are an excellent case in point. So this is precisely what I was just trying to describe about what happens with people and their shamanic practices and even with my own students is this whole um, attachment to their own story and weaving these fantastic stories, these fantastic interpretations around these experiences without once being suspicious that maybe their ego had a hand in it. And this is entirely different from that thing that happens to people when they're beginning to learn to journey where they're thinking, am I controlling this? That's a really um, valid, critical thought to think as long as it doesn't stop you from journeying. It's not a bad idea to have. It's just 
not proof that the journey means nothing. So this is different than that. This is people fully engaged in the journey, blah, 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 blah. The whole journey story unfolds and then they they interpret it through the lens of their own stories and, and create these fantastically complex dramas, frankly, which in and of itself is the sign that something's off. Because my experience, um, not just my own, but my experience in my own shamanic practice and with peers and students who are surrendering to the students as teachers is things simplify. That does not mean they are easy, but they simplify and the drama drains out of things and the true intensity of life force infuses things. So back to Ball. And so he's just talked about, (coughs) excuse me, Terrence McKenna and the infamous machine elves as a case in point. So this is why. The fact that shamanic reality is an interpreted reality is a critical point. I've been kind of working up to this today. That this is a point that I find endlessly fascinating, that that the shamanic reality is an interpreted reality. And I cannot tell you how often I bring this up with my peers. I mean practitioners. I don't mean just students. I mean practitioners, and they don't care. It's amazing to me. How we interpret our experience, all of our experience, ordinary, non-ordinary dreams, visions, journeys, everyday life, all of it, how we interpret our experience is everything, literally. And this is kind of what Ball is also saying, that, that it's, it all gets interpreted through the story. And that is what shapes our sense of reality. And then it becomes a self a reinforcing circle. But it's like one of those hideous loops your computer gets stuck in that doesn't get you anywhere. So this is what intrigued me about Ball's article in spite of the fact that he said we don't need any belief in other realms or other beings, which is, of course, not terribly shamanic, but that is what intrigued me about Ball's article. And he carries on being um, having a PhD in religion and having that kind of academic mind, um, he very succinctly and clearly describes all of the many ways that this issue that he's describing plays itself out today in the vast landscape from revealed religions to new age spirituality to semi-serious exploration through entheogens to recreational drug use, you know, disguised as my spiritual process. Um, it's a huge landscape out there today, and it's all mishmashed together. And in Ball's article, he actually does a really beautiful job um, just walking through that and explaining very clearly why certain beliefs that are, are unfortunately becoming more and more widely spread are useless to us. Well, that's my editorializing. Um, so anyway... So now I haven't explored, I haven't read Ball's whole book, haven't ex- listened to podcasts, I haven't gone beyond the article. Um, but in the article itself, the one on Reality Sandwich, did I say it was on Reality? Yeah, the one on Reality Sandwich on that website. Um, as far as the article went, I really pretty wholeheartedly agreed in mostly everything that he said. And, and I thank Ball, bless his heart, for making my argument for me. And my argument is that the spirits are teaching us. 
right? So even though he says there's no need for other realms and spirits, I agree with what he's saying. When those other realms and other spirits are coming out of these fantastical stories we're creating as the ego desperately grasps at trying to neuter this profound spirit experience that we've just had in this altered state. So, so I'm thanking Ball basically for making my argument for me because in his essay and in his, his whole – at the center of his whole premise is the use of entheogens. And so what he says in his essay is um, he's going to present an overview of how all of this works, this liberation, and the role that entheogens can play in bringing about direct experience – of the fundamental nature of reality and the process of undergoing self-liberation through awareness and the exercise of personal responsibility. So I'm thinking, okay, this all um, direct experience of the fundamental nature of reality, I'm down with that. Um, Undergoing self-liberation, down with that. And exercise of personal responsibility. These all seem like parts of, well, frankly, radio shows I've done before. These are the core of my teaching. So I'm reading along with this article because in spite of the fact that he's written off the other realms and spirits, I get why he's doing it. Because he's talking about the very thing that I have watched lead many a potential student and potential shaman astray in the contemporary shamanic world. Is that they are simply caught up in story and do not know it. So... Ball continues, the central key to such liberation that he's describing and the unleashing of human potential is entheogens. This is what I have come to understand as the primary function of entheogens or psychedelics. They alter our ability to perceive and experience energy. So the central key to the liberation he is discussing in his work is entheogens. This is precisely the shamanic relationship with a teacher. The relationship Ball is describing that he has with entheogens is a shamanic relationship with a quote-unquote spirit teacher. It happens for him to be DMT. But that's the point that I'm trying to make. And bless Ball's heart for doing it very eruditely in his article is that The dynamic he describes in his ongoing, so ongoing, a working relationship. So he creates, okay, so first he steps away from his life and all things that stabilize it. He begins a rigorous process of self-discovery in relationship with DMT. That's the spirit help. That's the shamanic relationship right there. That's what I'm talking about when I say One, working relationship, and two, the spirits are trying to teach us. They are not really just there to answer our questions. I mean, they're happy to do that. But our questions are limited by our story. They're limited by our imagination. And right now, right now, what I see around me is a crisis in the lack of imagination of what could be. I hear this desperate retreat to what was because everything's in such upheaval and chaos. But people don't remember two, three years ago, we were complaining about those systems. We don't want them back. But it's like people can't imagine anything else. Imagination, people. That's 
what a true relationship with spirit help is about. And that's actually what Ball's describing in his entire thesis, or maybe that's not the right word. But anyway, his entire book, his entire everything, as far as I can tell from what I read, is about developing a true working relationship with spirit. For him, it's DMT. And to rigorously engage in what that energy has to teach you. And to not create fantastical stories and new religions and strange ideas about God, but to get, strip that drama away. Stop anthropomorphizing everything. And to get, pardon me, but to get down with the real energy, to get into the real energy and understand when we say you are one with all things. I don't mean that as a pretty, happy, kumbaya um, card, you know, greeting card idea. I mean that as energetically, you are an energy being in an energy universe. You are part of an energetic system. And the sooner you can grok what that actually means, to use an old drug word, but the sooner you can get that and let go of every single story that tells you anything different, the sooner you will be on the path of why you are here. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be on a version of the path of why you are here before you get there, but this is what I'm talking about, people. And the, a lot of the rest of this this relationship, even the shamanic relationships with spirit is really pretty namby-pamby because it's still completely neutered by story. So we give thanks to Ball for his article and his really clearly describing what I really mean by having a relationship with spirit. So I don't, for me, Ball doesn't actually prove that we can explain the nature of reality without other realms and other beings, because I think at the very core of what he's saying is he believes the entheogens are needed and perhaps they were for him, but that is a primary working relationship with a helping spirit. That's what it feels like. That's what it's like, for example, as a shamanic practitioner to have been initiated by a helping spirit, and to be rigorously in that teaching for the rest of your life. And the way that all that you thought was warm and fuzzy and familiar keeps being stripped away. You're made naked again and again and again until you get with the program. You get with the true understanding of the energetic reality and you live from that place. So... So the spirits, in other words, from a shamanic perspective, the spirits are here to do exactly what Ball says, to alter our ability to perceive and experience energy. And what I would say is to make a stronger point here about the word alter. Alter meaning to help to move us out of what is entirely constrained by story, what is familiar, what is habitual. And to be able to have an to perceive experientially energy in a different way, and so this whole situation then that's the difference between true helping spirits in shamanism and and trapping our helping spirits in the stories of our grasping ego, such that the message ultimately is ineffective. 
So that's really the point that I'm trying to make today when I say that the helping spirits are teachers. And that the problem primarily in that teaching is that we get in the way. And so there's um, a couple articles actually in Stephen Bear's um, singingtotheplants.com, I believe, is the website. And he's got a gajillion blogs. And um, I also think that he's an excellent writer and he's very perceptive in shamanism. So I encourage you to go check uh, Stephen's side out. But he's talking about... um, um, Strassman, who's a scientist who was doing work, research with DMT and various and sundry things happened in the process. But I think that part of the challenge for Strassman is that he had an agenda for what is essentially the ayahuasca. He had an agenda for it. And um, he wanted to wrangle that helping spirit into his idea of what it should do or could do in a medical model. Now, the the impulse, the heart impulse to do that is, is to be applauded. I'm not criticizing that. The desire to help people in their suffering um, is a great desire. The willingness to look at shamanic healing um, as offering, you know, valid possibilities. The willingness to look at these plant hallucinogens these entheogens as, as a possible factor in contemporary healing life is all good. It's all good. The problem was that the very root of the work was wrong-minded, as is much of this effort by the medical system and the academic system connected to the medical system and the scientific system connected to the medical system, is that the very root is wrong-minded because if you're going to work with these spirits, these energies, this DMT, you want to work with it with someone who has a long-term working relationship. So instead of having scientists define some small way, we're going to try to wrangle this helping spirit into serving our contemporary healthcare needs. We need to simply open up for contemporary people the valid valuable and sincere fact that shamanic healing and it's the research it's already done for the last several thousand years with plant hallucinogens is valid in and of itself. In other words, instead of trying to wrangle it into the healthcare system, send people to a legitimate shaman to work with the plant medicines. I mean, why do we have to try to reinvent this wheel ass backwards and wrong-minded? I mean, bless Strassman's heart. I'm not criticizing him, but people, can we get a grip? Can we learn from what we have done with traditional Chinese medicine? Can we learn from that mistake? Why are traditional Chinese medical practitioners not primary care in America? Why are chiropractors and traditional Chinese medicine doctors not? Why are, all right, I'll get off that soapbox. Sorry, I was getting a little carried away there. But my point is thousands of years of research in a beautiful system for healing that works for many of the issues that the allopathic American medical system doesn't deal very well with. Why not refer out to a system that does? And similarly with shamanism, why try to rob the heart out of something when you, when you know as soon as you yank that heart out of the body, the heart and the body are both going to go dead? 
Why not embrace the entire being? So the problem here is wrangling these helping spirits into our contemporary idea instead of surrendering to the helping spirits and allowing them to teach us what they have to offer us for the problems that we bring to them today. So we have a call from Jackie in Portland who would like to ask some questions. Into our contemporary idea instead of surrendering to the helping spirits and allowing them to teach us what they have to offer us for the problems that we bring to them today. So we have a call from Jackie in Portland who would like to ask a question. Hi, Christina. Yes. Uh, well, as you know, I just took your first shaman workshop a weekend ago. And I just wanted to let you and your audience know, because I know you have people who listen all the time, that um, I'm, <laughs> I'm confused by the feedback here. Um, and what is happening to me to do and your audience know, because I know you have people who listen all the time. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm what is happening to me is just exactly what you described me. And so I'm hoping I the story has lifted away and I am happy with that. I am but I am feeling the old way, the ego challenging me um, and I need to take the next steps and I can see that what you're saying is um, that I need to journey. I need to say, okay, spirit, I'm there. What's the next step? How do I, how do I go forward now that I really do feel the energy is different, and I'm standing in a different place. So right. I'm just you know, uh, really if you, Jackie, mm-hmm. Jackie, if you could just turn the volume yes. down as you're listening to the show, then it won't echo so much. Oh, so, okay. So with your question, what do I do now? Yeah. Uh, there's another piece actually in Ball's article that I think is important because there are times that what we need to do is to simply do our energy practices and just be in the energy, be in the energy matrix. So the Qigong or some really simple energy forms so, so that we um, restore in the body the knowing of who it is in the great matrix of things with the mind entirely out of the picture. When we get, cause, cause the first piece is we're feeling wobbly, right? Story's gone. Don't know what to do. Ego's trying to get back in. So the new, the new person is feeling wobbly. So the first thing to do is to reinforce the structure and the structure is energetic. And so in other words, to, to remind the energy structure of the body that it is supported in the energy structure of the universe, cause these things are all scalable. Right, same energy, large and small, and that's why I personally believe that we need um, some 
Qigong practices or some sort of energy practices or even it, the visualization energy practices become tricky then because it's the mind we're trying to sort of corral. But anyway, my point is step one would be to reinforce the relation, the structure and the relationship between the energy body and the physical body, the, the physical energetic experience to move into that and to, and to practice, to just be in your practice as long as it takes for the body to go, ah, right. This is who I am. This is where I fit. This is what I am. This is the system. And so the body is calm. And so then there's no survival-based messages being sent up the spinal column. And so it's not triggering the heart or the brain. So that would be the first thing. Then I might journey. After the sort of reinforcing the structure because in journeying we are made open again to the energies and so i would want to stabilize and take care of the body first and then potentially go into the journey or go for a walk out in nature or some sort of activity that then begins to open me to the spirit help the, the working relationship with spirit. Uh, um, and because you just did the first shaman class, that, that then might be a time to take a journey to the first shaman and ask what is the next step. But I would stabilize first that we have to... Um, there is a piece in this where in the, in the new... In the new way of being, after the stories are gone, primarily because we do not live in a culture that supports the new way of being but has great momentum for the old ways of being and for you to just pick those stories back up and fit right back in, I believe the energy practices take on more importance than they had in the past because we have to be able to stabilize our own uh, physical body, energy body interface and that connection to the bigger energy. Um, before we then open up again through the altered states into other things. Now, Ball would probably tell you to go do some DMT, but um, <laughs> my experience from shamanism is that it is one of many ways. It's one of the vehicles that shamans use. It's not the only vehicle. And so that would be my suggestion is first stabilizing and, and understanding that – so this is kind of a new idea, but it's part of the bigger picture of the answer to Jackie's question. How did the stories gain so much ground in the first place? Because it's not just you and me. It's everybody. How did the stories gain so much ground in the first place? Because the deeper systems, in, in effect, largely religious, disconnected us from our bodies in the first place. It is our bodies, our physical bodies that have the greatest ability to remind us of the actual true energies of things, not our mind. Our mind is just often a sneaky little weasel, right? So mm -hmm. it is through those energy practices, right? And so it, it is by refusing that fundamental separation that so much organized religion offered us to disconnect because once we've unplugged, once we've disconnected from the body and its innate connection to the real energies, you could convince us of anything. 
You could tell us any story of the world and we'd buy it. And so mm-hmm. I think that as contemporary people, without a stru- uh, cultural structure that's necessarily supporting this process that we're talking about, we have to be extra specially aware of the importance of that relationship with the body. And so I would say when we get in that wobbly place you were describing, that we care, we tend to the body first, the energy, okay. the energy physical. The, and then extend from there. Does that make sense? Thank you. Yes, it does. And and it points out why the wobbliness is because I haven't been doing that. So I will. Yeah. And and yeah, the nice and thing at least here in the northern hemisphere is it's springtime for most of us and we can actually yes. go outside now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yes, it is beautiful. And I thank you very much for a very succinct answer to my sort of wobbly question. Well, my pleasure. So let's see. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. So the question then is really at this point, why do we need to be better humans? Because this was my working title for this talk is the helping spirits, our teachers and how they make us better humans. Why do we need to be better humans? Well, this is the one part of this, this, show here today that I may be utterly unqualified to talk about because I couldn't ask that question. For me, that's always been obvious. So that may disqualify me from being able to answer this, but I'll try. So back in the olden days, when I was young and dating, um, there was a young man that I had a tumultuous, stormy uh, relationship as only 20-somethings can do. And um, a couple years after not talking with him, very intentionally not speaking with him, I did run into him at a gathering of mutual friends. And we went off to talk for a little while um, in that gathering privately. And what he said to me was, um, the issue in our relationship, Christina, is that you were too demanding. And he said, no, wait, don't take my head off. That's not what I meant. Or at least the way I heard it wasn't what he meant. What he meant was my presence was too demanding. I wasn't being demanding. It's just being with me was too demanding on him. He said, it made me want to be a better person. I didn't want to be a better person. So I don't know. You know, I've always wanted to be a better person. Not from the sense of not being good enough. But because there's always been in me this deep understanding that we are part of what Ball calls in his article this unitary, unitary energy being, that we are part of this great oneness, and that, and that if we're all the same and part of this great oneness, if I'm actually the same as this birch tree I'm looking at out my window and my cat over here on the bed and you listening, why all of this diversity? It seems like an awful waste of energy if we're all the same. We are all one, but we are not all the same. We are all manifestations of the same energy and the same energy math, but we are not all the same. And this is the piece from shamanism that has always been so uh, important and innate to me is this understanding that we each, in our divinity, are a unique expression of that energy. 
that we, as an aspect of the unitary, unitary energy being, are still a unique expression of that energy being. And we must express that uniqueness to the fullest, deepest, most clear, clean expression of our own energy as possible. That this is my sense of why we need to bother to be better humans. Because we are here to do some aspect of that um, oneness, that great oneness of all things. We are here to be that in the best, fullest possible way that we can be. That's the point. It's the entire point of existence. And so for me to get my stories out of the way so that I can actually find why I'm here, I need to be a better human. And I actually believe in all the readings that I've done that this is the message. This is what the message has always been with the helping spirits is they're here to help. Because they need to keep us alive, or we need to keep ourselves alive to do what we've come here to do. But the point is to do what we've come here to do. And to do that, we need to be better humans. And this is, from my sense then, the fundamental reason of this relationship and why we must learn to surrender to what the helping spirits are here to teach us. And that they are here to teach us. They are not here to be strangled and neutered by our stories. They are here to strip us uncomfortably naked of those stories. And they are here to guide us through those wobbly times. They are here to help us surrender to the true energetic nature of the oneness that we are. And in that to feel that vibration of unique expression. As humans, we would call that passion. But if we were going to take all the humanity away from it, it's a, it's, it's a unique vibration in the great oneness. But that's why we're here. And that's my belief. And even though Ball says it's not, from my perspective as a shaman, it's the whole point of his argument. That's his belief too. That that fundamental relationship with spirit is the teacher that can take you there to that truly better human that can feel that vibration of the true essence and uniqueness of why you are here. So may you each in the great ecstatic beauty of springtime around you be inspired to express your own uniqueness as all of these plants are doing right now. And may you open to the helping spirits that are in your life who are wanting and able and willing to be your teachers. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Next week, we have our guests, Nan Moss and David Corbin, who are co-authors of Weather Shamanism, Harmonizing Our Connection with the Elements, and co-founders of Down to Earth, the Shaman's Circle. Nan and David say that it is their goal, through their practice, their teaching, and through circles of weather dancers, Um, formed through their weather program, their teachings, um, that change can happen, wounds can heal, nature and humans can work together to live a vital future. So I hope you'll join us next week while we have Nan and David as guests. 
And I just want to thank you all for listening here today. Thank you all for allowing yourself to be moved as you might have been by these podcasts. I want to thank the spirits for gathering around, the ancestors in particular for being present here today, the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites all of us. For those of you that haven't quite sorted the websites out yet, my website is lastmasscenter.org. You can find classes and teachings there. And the show website is whyshamanismnow.com. And you can find past archive shows and information about the show there. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week.